Well, good afternoon. Tumbleweeds blows through the building. Good afternoon. There we go, very good. Okay. Uh, we do like a bit of audience participation at the beginning. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember the radio show called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the, the president of the galaxy was a man called Zaphod Beeblebrox. Slightly unusual name. There were, there were a number of unusual things about Zaphod Beeblebrox. Uh, number one, obviously, was his name, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Uh, the second was the fact that he had two heads and three arms. He'd grown the extra ones at some point during his life, which is interesting in itself. Uh, but also, his job in his job as president of the galaxy... He didn't actually have any power. His job as the president was to be as flamboyant as possible and to draw everyone's attention to him to distract from, from the fact that he wasn't actually making any decisions and the people who were making the decisions were somebody else. And the view that was expressed by, by Douglas Adams, the writer of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was that anyone who wants to rule, in that case the galaxy, uh, but he was applying the rule, I think, generally. Anyone who wants to rule should automatically not be allowed to rule. But then that gives you a problem. Who do you allow to rule if nobody who wants to can be allowed to? Wouldn't it be interesting in real-life politics if, uh, if it worked that way? So we are back in the book of Judges. And you see the title there. And... Uh, let's uh, turn in the Bible, if you have a Bible in front of you. If not, you can grab one at the back. There's some behind you in there. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Judges chapter 9. It's quite a long passage, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up into two lumps as we as read it. Read one now and one a bit later on. So this is on page 252 in the Church Bible. If you don't have the church Bible, you've got to figure out what page it's on. And so this is chapter 9 of Judges. And apologies for any pronunciations here. Uh, Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jerubbaal's sons rule over you, or just one man. Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. They gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berith, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless adventurers who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah. And on one stone murdered his seventy brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered the great gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. Then Jotham was told about this. He climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. 
One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil, which is both gods and by which both gods and men are honoured, to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, shall I give up my fruit so good and sweet? To hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and men, to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thornbush, Come and be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, if you have acted honourably and in good faith when you made Abimelech king, and if you've been fair to Jerubal and his family, and if you have treated him as he deserves, and to think my father fought for you, risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian, but today you have revolted against my father's family, murdered his 70 sons on a single stone, and made Abimelech, the son of his slave girl, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is your brother. If then you have acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today, may Abimelech be your joy, and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out of Abimelech and consume you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out of you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Let's just pause there uh, to break it up. So we are back in the book of Judges. Uh, you may remember that from November. And there are a, uh, a number of themes in the book of Judges. And this now is not going to move on. There we go. Um, so I just want to remind you about this just for two minutes because this is important just in setting the context for you. Uh, and we've seen this theme already in the life of Gideon. Uh, Gideon is called Jeroboam in this, in this chapter 9. That's the guy sent to there, but that was Gideon. And you'll see it, we'll see it later in Samson and some other folks. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about uh, leadership. And I think, Andrew, you're going to have to move these slides on, mate. That's not, uh, that's not moving on. So um, there's a lot of discussion about leadership. Uh, different people are raised up by God to lead his people, but they're all flawed, usually imperfect. They save Israel and the people of God, but, but usually mess up somewhere. Uh, really a reflection that Israel, in fact, all of us need a leader, but that that leader is Jesus. And all these people messing up are just reminding us of that, of that truth. Uh, but we can also see the people of Israel uh, repeatedly turning away from God and worshipping idols. Uh, the gods of the nations around them, uh, or in fact comfortably living among them, uh, have become their gods. Even though they've been, Israel has been specifically warned about the dangers and the consequences of what's going to happen if that takes place. But Israel, they just can't kick the habit. They just can't kick these plastic gods. They just keep 
turning to them and worshipping them. Uh, But despite Israel's lack of faithfulness to God, God is still faithful to Israel. He rescues the people from the foreign nations and he calls them back to himself. He's merciful. He doesn't give up on his wayward children. And also, and here, you know, uh, you've got a certain sense of this. We've talked about it. Uh, Judges contains, let's be honest, a lot of gritty violence. A lot of murders, double-crossing, ethnic cleansing, backstabbing, wars, <coughs> death generally. A bit, of a bit of a horror show in one way. And in first glance, it can be hard to see where God is in the middle of some of those stories. But I think as you've seen, as we, as we went along, if you were with us last year, he is actually right in the middle of those, of those stories. And we see this pattern. We see this pattern going round over and over. Again and again, we see uh, Israel worshipping idols. So God sends a foreign nation to attack or to oppress Israel. Uh, eventually, Israel cries out to God, saying, save us from these nasty people. Uh, God is then merciful and faithful. He raises up a judge to look after them and to save them. Uh, he gives them that person his spirit, and they defeat the foreign nation the judge dies and we start all over again with Israel worshipping idols and we start all over. And the cycle goes around. In fact, each time the cycle goes around, it gets worse. So it's not really going around in a circle. It's actually going down in a spiral. And then we get to the story of Abimelech. Mm. Yes, because you see, that doesn't follow this pattern so much. Uh, in fact, it doesn't really follow it too much at all. It's quite different. And so, if anything, it throws the other judges and what happened to the other judges into sharp relief. It provides a contrast, perhaps. It gives us some things to think about, some other things to think about in terms of the nature of leadership, some other things about to think about as to how God works that are different to those other cycles that we go through. So we'll see some of those things as we go through. But but here there's an internal threat, this civil war within Israel. Nobody's really crying out to God for deliverance. Uh, Abimelech is not chosen by God. He manipulates his way into the leadership, a bit conniving, a little bit of uh, conspiracy going on. Arguably there's no real winners But, as with the rest of the story, God is still working through this story. God is still right in the middle of the story, and things are still happening. God is still working his purpose out, despite Abimelech and the people in Shechem and all the other stuff. So if you're taking notes today, and that's always a good thing to do, then we're going to think about three things. Truth or consequences, the impact of sin. We're going to think about this fable of the trees that we just read and what's going on there. And for those football fans that you have, on me, Edson, which is the end of Abimelech. But we'll explain that lame joke when we get there. Uh, so first of all, first of all, truth or consequences. I don't know if you've ever played that game when you were a kid. Truth, consequences, the impact of sin. Just turn back in, the, in your Bible. Uh, keep it just open there. Back over to the previous chapter at the end of chapter 8. Oops. And 
Around about verse 27 there, you can see that Gideon, who's uh, Jerob Baal in this chapter, as I'm saying, same two names, same bloke, has, he's rescued Israel, everything's gone well, but then he creates something that becomes an idol. And uh, he sets this up and it says, it says there becomes, uh, end of verse 27, becomes a snare to Gideon and his family. Remember the family includes Abimelech and these 70 other, uh, other 70 other sons. Um, remember he's got a number of wives. It says he has a large number of wines and at least one concubine. That is not God's plan for, for marriage. And uh, although he's done a great job up until this point, the wheels seem to drop off at the end. And he actually... Uh, leads a number of people into sin through his actions. It's a real mess. And I think that's true of our lives. Our sin, our rebellion against God, there are consequences. There are, there are consequences to what happened. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're here today, then, then uh, we're glad you're here and praise God your sins are forgiven. But unfortunately... Too often there are still consequences to live with in our lives from the things that have gone wrong. We take joy in our forgiveness, and, and if we're Christian and, and we're good, but with that, and um, there is no condemnation for those in Christ who have been forgiven, the Bible says, but there are still some consequences that happen in our lives, sadly, unfortunately. So, so. Uh, and that is true in this case. Israel does not treat Gideon's children well. Uh, you know, the family of war heroes sometimes and leaders have received pensions and recognition these days and, and are grateful people, uh, even, even over, over, over many years. But this is not the case. This looks like ingratitude. You know, Gideon saved Israel, but they're not really looking after the kids. They're not really wanting to be under the kids' uh, authority and rule in many ways. Uh, uh, it's a side, but in one way you can see why that works. At this point, there are no kings in Israel. We'll see about that in a minute. There are only judges, people whose God is, is raising up. And, and there's no sense in which the children of judges become judges. Yeah, you know how a king, you, know, you have the heir to the king, you have a prince or a princess or whatever, and they become the next king or queen. And that's not true for God's people at this point. Uh, there's no hereditary passing on of authority. Uh, and so in one way, I guess why they wouldn't want to pass, pass that over to the, these folks uh, who, are, who are Gideon's sons. But remember, just as an aside, remember that's true spiritually as well. Just because our parents are Christians, it doesn't make us Christians. Okay, often someone will say, oh yes, I'm a Christian because my mum and dad were Christian. No, that is not what makes you a Christian. What makes us a Christian is if we're, if we have faith in Jesus and if we repent and we're adopted as his own children. There are no grandchildren of God. There are only children of God uh, but but uh, this thing goes on uh, we get into chapter 9 verse 1 Abimelech's heart stood up to seize the leadership of Israel uh, and so he murders his half brothers uh, 
he doesn't want to he doesn't want to do this himself necessarily or he's feeling a bit weak and so he gets some allies together sets up this bit of a conspiracy uh, goes to his mother's family they're living in a town called Shechem that's now called uh, Nablus in the in Palestine you'll hear that on the news sometime it's the same town and he enlists them to his cause but he doesn't notice he doesn't go directly to the leaders he kind of just sidles up alongside the family and says you know can you uh, can you put a good word in you know uh, you know just point out to them and then and he gives them the words you know what I mean he gives them the arguments to have he gives them things to say he says you know what are you going to have? You're going to have these 70 sons ruling over you? Well, they weren't anyway, so it's not a big deal. But, but you know, you're going to have these 70 people, these 70 people who are sons of Gideon ruling over you? It's better off just to be one, isn't it? Don't you just don't want one leader? And if you're going to have one leader, don't you want to be related to you? You know, because we are family. And so what's he doing? He's getting others to do the dirty work. He's getting others to do the dirty work. And that continues because the, because the, 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 the he pers- they, his family persuades the leaders in Shechem. And they agree to finance his little campaign here. You know, they're going to give him the money. Uh, but what do they do? You know, they don't give it themselves. No, they take it out of the treasury from one of the idols. That is just bizarre. And what does he do with the money? He hires a group of thugs, someone else, to do the work. And they go and they kill his half-brothers. Kills, he kills them as probably one at a time. It says on a stone, so probably one at a time. That is a very cold-blooded way to kill 69 people. That's it. The opposition's out of the way, you know. Divide and conquer, he's got the opposition out of the way. He's got his allies in check, and what do they do? They crown him as the king. Uh, from later in the story, that looks like king of Israel, but but we don't really know what the rest of Israel think of that at this point. What a mess! I mean, what a mess! This isn't this isn't what God wanted, surely. How much of this stuff was coming about because of because of that idol that Gideon created and, and Israel's desire in their hearts to follow idols? One writer says that the heart is an idol factory. And that's surely true for Israel at this point. You know, they're just, they're just taking everything into their own hands and they're worshipping idols. But, but, one guy escaped. He was the youngest. Well, that means he was the smallest, so he could hide a bit better. We don't know. But he was the youngest young lad called Jotham. He's hidden away. And... Uh, he survived. He, he, he finds out what's gone on. Seems to have been the same day. And he goes to a hill just outside Shechem. And on the screen will now appear a map. With any look. Next one. Ha ha. This works. Right. I will now use the laser pointer. Okay? Just for audience information. So, here is Shechem. In there. I don't know what all these red lines are, by the way. This is just off the map I got. Where? So, Shechem's over here. And down here is Mount Gerizim. It's actually sort of all that is the mountain there. And this is where Jotham was standing, shouting at the people down here. So, he probably had a really quite a big voice. Okay? But there's another mountain up here, Mount 
Eba as well. And uh, this is significant. Uh, it's no coincidence that this is where Mount Gerizim, that this is where Jotham was standing. Okay. Uh, let me just read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 29. When the, these are instructions that Moses was giving the people of Israel. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. Or jump forward to uh, Joshua chapter 8 verse 33. All the Israelites with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it both the foreigners living among them and the native born were there. Half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. So this is a place with a lot of significance for Israel. It's a place where uh, curses and blessings are pronounced. Uh, now, interestingly, Jotham seems to be pronouncing a curse, but he's standing on the mountain that's supposed to be where you pronounce a blessing. Okay? Uh, writers seem to think because it, it turned out to be a blessing for Israel in the end is what's going on there. But uh, not totally sure about that. Some writers, a bit of debate there. Um, but it's certainly a significant place. So when Jotham's standing up there, the people down there are, can hear him, presumably. Uh, that's going to have some significance for them. It's not just like standing at the end of your street and shouting it. But what's he shouting about? He's telling this story, he's telling this parable, and if we were studying Greek literature, we'd say it was a, a fable. We're talking about four trees. The first three are productive and useful in their own right, but the other trees are trying to make them something that they're not, something they're not qualified to be. They're trying to make these trees a king, king over the trees. How does that work? You know, a little branch with a little crown on the top, I don't know. Uh, and that's just, you know, that is not what these trees were designed for. This is one writer reflecting on this, some old language in here, just excuse this. Uh, whenever there comes to you, all of a sudden, some very alluring offer something very grand and very unusual, like this request to reign over us, then doubly be on your guard. For it is after this fashion that Satan baits his hook and catches his fish. It is after this manner that he goes forth to hunt for his prey, and many have been entangled in the meshes of a golden net, who seemed in other ways to escape the corruptions of the world. Many, to obtain a higher wage, have left holy companionships and sacred opportunities for hearing the word and growing in grace. They have lost their Sabbaths, quitted a soul-feeding ministry, and fallen amongst the world to their own sorrowful loss. To increase their busyness so that they cannot attend weeknight services is to become really poorer, to give up heavenly pleasure and receive earthly cares in exchange is a sorry sort of barter. Or as we say nowadays, 
If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. But the trees are determined. They are determined to have a king. And so who do they approach? They approach the bramble, who says, yes, come and shelter under me. Have you seen a bramble? Have you seen a bramble? They're about this high. Yeah, it's all right about that. How's a tree up there supposed to shelter under a bramble down here? That ain't going to work. Anyway, if you've seen brambles, they're all thorns and just, you know, there's no, there's no leaves. There's, no, there's not many leaves. There's nothing to shelter under. This tree is not in any way qualified to be king of the trees. But they're determined. They are determined. We are going to have a king. We don't care if they're not qualified. Let's get them in there. And I'm the same sometimes as that. I think sometimes many of us are the same as that. Too often we want to jump ahead and fix the problem and do what we want. We want to take on God's role. We become impatient, waiting for God. And so we overstep his bound. We break his rules in order to get the job done. Or maybe we don't like God's solution. And so we try to put our own in place. We look just like the brambles to God. God's looking at us and thinking, why are you doing this? We go back to the people in Shechem. The people in Shechem must be thinking, what is he on about? What is he talking about? He's talking about trees. His 69 brothers have just been killed this morning and the man wants to talk to us about foliage. What is he on about? We know he's upset about something. But we're quite not sure what. When I was a young man, and I had big hair. I was going to say long hair, but I didn't have long hair. I just had big hair. It was the 80s. Perms were in. What can I say? The photos are on Facebook. Check them out. It's embarrassing, but, you know. Anyway, uh, when, I, when I was in that uh, era of my life, so to speak, I was very fond of progressive rock. Progressive rock, Genesis, all those other bands. Uh, and there was a progressive rock band called Rush from Canada. And they did a song called The Trees, which didn't sound totally dissimilar to this. Uh, they were, they, there's stories about how there's maple trees and the maple trees are complaining to the oak trees because the oak trees are blocking out all of their light. And in the end, someone comes down and cuts down both the trees. Uh, and, and you're listening to this song and you're thinking, you know, I know you're making this deeply profound political and social point, but I don't have a clue what it is. I mean, you're upset. I can tell you're upset about something. I can tell that you're really trying to make a point, but you haven't explained it, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, was it because it was the Canadian and the maple tree is supposed to to represent Canada, or you know what is it? Well, praise God, Jotham does not leave the people of Shechem with those kind of questions. In verse 16, he tells them what it's about. He makes it clear. This is about Abimelech. This is about Abimelech and the fact that you folks down there in Shechem have helped him to get him to be king when really that was not what was going on. That was not the plan. And so he gives them this, this weird curse, this sort of strange curse. It doesn't sound like a curse at first. He says, look, if you think you've behaved right, 
You know, if you think you've behaved honourably in this, then God bless you. Fair enough. Everything's going to be great. You're going to enjoy each other. Everything is going to be good. No worries. If you think you've behaved well to my family, great. He's going to be a great king. You'll get on well. But if you think you've done the wrong thing here, if you've done this with the wrong motives, you are not going to get away with this. And by the way, I know you haven't, so who are you kidding anyway? You're in this plot. You're in this civil war up to your necks. I know you've helped my brother kill 69 people. I hope you, you know you've helped... Bill Knight killed my 69 brothers, so here's what's going to happen. He's going to destroy you, and you're going to destroy him. And we go, yeah, that's justice. You've got it coming. Great. When's it going to happen? Looking for fire coming out of things? No. It looks like, at first, Abimelech has got away with it. It says that uh, he rules for three years. Three years before this kicks in. This is where we get to the next part of the story, which I'm going to read you in a moment, and you'll see why I called it On the Edson as we get towards the end. So let's read the second part of the passage uh, from uh, where we left off there, wherever that was. So after Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, who acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by. And this was reported to Abimelech. Now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved with his brothers into Shechem, and his citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they had a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem that we should be subject to him? Isn't Jeroboam's son? And isn't Zabel his deputy? Serve the men of Hamel. Shechem's father, why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zabul, the governor of the city, heard what Gaal, son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. Under cover, he sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Gaal, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come up to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then... During the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. When Garland's men come out against you, do whatever your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Garland of Ebed had gone out and was standing at the entrance to the city gate, just as Abimelech and his soldiers came out from their hiding place. When Gaal saw them, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. 
Zebul replied, you mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But God spoke up again. Look, people are coming down from the centre of the land and a company is coming from the direction of the soothsayer's tree. Then Zebul said to him, where's your big talk now? You who said, who is Abimelech and who should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gal led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him, and many fell wounded in the fight in the flight, all the way to the entrance to the gate. Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zebul drove Gal and his brothers out of Shechem. The next day the people of Shechem went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech, so he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance to the gate. Then two companies rushed upon those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed the attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens of the Tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of el When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up to Mount Zalman. He took an axe, cut off some of the branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you've seen me do. So all the men cut branches, followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire over the people inside. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went on to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, sorry, yeah, all the men and women, all the people of the city fled. They locked themselves in and climbed upon the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it, but... As he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armour-bearer, Draw your sword and kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed me. So his servant ran him through, and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus, God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his seventy brothers. God also made the men of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jerubbaal, came on them. It's a long passage, that, but full of great stuff. So, Abimelech has governed for three years. It doesn't say he ruled. It says governed. The Hebrew word here is different. It's clear this is not a king. He wants to be a king, but he's not ruling in that way. He doesn't have that kind of authority. Uh, He's doing that for three years and uh, people are thinking, well, that man Jotham, he must have been just out of his head. You know, he was obviously just shouting strange stuff. It doesn't come true. Standing on top of the mountains, yelling stuff. Who does he think he is? Maria von Trapp, maybe. And then uh, God steps in and says, uh, we're going to sort this out. And so he, he puts Abimelech and his allies at each other's throats. Civil war is taking place again. Guerrilla warfare is taking out. People are getting ambushed. Why did God wait three years? Why does God sometimes wait 
today to punish wrongdoing. Sometimes it looks as though someone who's done many bad things has never been punished in their life. But that is not so. There is punishment to be paid for things that we do wrong. God does not act always straight away so that all of us, when we do wrong, have the opportunity to repent, to realise the gravity of offending a holy God, the seriousness of what not doing what he wants us to do, realising how terrible it must be to experience the anger of an angry God and to turn to his son and to ask for forgiveness. If God was really just, he would just straight away judge us and punish us, which would be sending us straight to hell. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're really glad you've joined us. We hope you've received a warm welcome and you're feeling very comfortable and you've had some cake and some coffee and some tea. It may be in your life you feel that you've done some things that have had some terrible consequences. Maybe you haven't murdered 69 people. But you know you've broken God's good law. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, maybe I've got away with it. Maybe, although I've done these things, God is not going to punish me. I'm okay. Friend, please, beloved, he is giving you time to believe in him. He's giving you time to say sorry and to repent. To turn your life around. He would be within his rights to condemn you right now. But because he's also a loving God as well as a just God, he's waiting for you to turn to him. To say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Make my life more like your son, Jesus. But beloved, he will not wait for you forever. So guerrilla's warfare has broken out. God has initiated it. We're told why he's out to punish, to punish Abimelech. He's out to punish the people of Shechem. This guy Gal turns up. We don't know much about him, but he stirs up the people. They go out, they have a party, they're drinking lots of wine, and Gal is doing the armchair politician bit. Okay, we've all done the armchair politician bit, haven't we? If we're honest. If only I was in charge. If I, if I was in charge, if I was king, I'd sort them out. It's very closely related to the armchair football manager. You know, if I was in charge of the team, I'd put them on and we'd be winning. No problems. There's probably a number of other armchair jobs like that where we just think, oh, it's dead easy. Anyone can do that. Uh, this is what God's doing. He's saying, yeah, if I was in charge of the army, if all you, uh, if you would go out with me, we'd kick him. We'd really get him. Uh, now Zebul's in, he's living in the same city he hears this and he says in the true, true pantomime style the people of Shechem are revolting uh, come on Abimelech come and sort them out uh, and he does again this is his style he comes up he ambushes them it's all secretive it's all you know uh, and he doesn't just kill the, kill, kill the, the he doesn't just kill Gal he kills the people from the city he destroys the city. He sows the fields with salt. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Uh, if you're putting salt in the ground, nothing grows. Yeah? What he's saying is, this place is over. This place is absolutely conquered. Nothing is going to grow here. No one's going to live here. It's all over. 
And I guess I get that. You know what I mean? If you're a king and you've been, uh, you've been put in power by these very shaky means, you know that there's enemies all around you, if rebellion breaks out, you are going to be all over it. You are going to be doing everything you can to get these people under your foot and stomp them. Stomp them down. Keep them low. He then moves on to a fortress. There's a, there's a fortress in the town. Think a bit like a keep in the middle of an English castle. Not quite, but same idea. Uh, it actually belongs to one of the shrines of one of the idols they've been watching, they've been worshipping. And uh, all the people run inside who are left to try and be safe from him. And he sets it on fire. Lots of pieces of wood. <laughs> wood. And sets him on fire. Place burns down. 1,000 people die inside. This guy is really not taking any prisoners. He is killing all the opposition. Uh, and then he moves on. He moves on to a nearby uh, city called Thebes. Uh, appears to have been started the same rebellion. We're not quite sure. It doesn't kind of appear, but from his action, it looks like it is. And he, tried, he thought, oh, yeah, worked last time. Worked last time. Lots of wood round, round the stronghold. On fire. Everyone dead. Let's do it again. Now, I've told you before that I have no hand-eye coordination, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, at school, tennis, football, no, not good. Uh, So typically, and I don't know if many of you relate to this experience. Some of you are real athletes, so I don't think you will. But typically, when it comes to ball games, I am the kid who's standing there, not looking when the ball comes out from this way over here and goes bonk, off the head sort of thing and everyone else laughs. Uh, you, know, you know, I didn't see it coming. It's there. Bonk, off my head. Um, well, it looks like it was a bit that way for Abimelech too, doesn't it? Uh, he's thinking it's going to work out the same way. Destroy the stronghold, no problem. He gets close. What happens? A big millstone is pushed off the top and lands on his head. Hence the expression, on me head, son. Uh, you know, he's a warrior, he's a warrior king, he's thinking he's going to be killed by a sword or by arrows or by flames or in some great struggle, uh, uh, armed combat with somebody else, I'm looking for the words, uh, maybe he's going to be struck down by lightning or killed you know, in, in the line of battle or whatever. No. Killed by a big rock dropped off the top of a building by a woman. Which, at this point, is embarrassing for him as a king. In this culture, it was embarrassed to be killed by a woman, if you were a bloke. Um, bear in mind... He's moments from death anyway. I mean, realistically, what does it matter? What does it care? You're dying anyway. You're going to be dead in a minute. Why are you fretting about it? Maybe he, was, maybe he was in a lot of pain. Maybe he wanted to end it quickly. We don't know. Anyway, he asks his armor bearer to kill him, which he does. That's the end of Abimelech. And the end of the Civil War. It, 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 just, just, it just cuts off there. It's just everybody went home. They're just like, you know, I'm sure it wasn't quite as, as quick as this, but you know, everyone's fighting. Bonk. Oh. All right. Go home then. Uh, 
And I'm sure it wasn't quite that fast, but anyway, they go home, carry on worshipping idols, waiting for the next judge to come along. Jai's going to tell you about them next week. But there's a tagline. There's a tagline at the end here. Verses 56 and 57. The the narrator, the person who's writing the story, uh, thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the men of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jerubal, came on them. Notice there, God repaid. God made. Yeah? The only other place, really, in that long chapter, with all that narrative, uh, is verse 23, where God is mentioned, where it says God sends the evil spirit. Apart from that, it's all Abimelech and everyone else uh, burning things and dropping rocks on each other and all that kind of stuff. Is that how you imagine God working? Does that sound like God working to you? God working in history? God working in these people's lives? God hasn't really said anything directly. All of his interventions are coming through the the narrator who's telling us about it. Um, Is it that he's not interested? Do, Do the people here think he's not interested? That he's not involved? That he's not even there? God's everywhere. You know, it always bugs me when, as a side, you know, it always bugs me when people say, oh, God turned up, or uh, we're retaking the streets for God. Where do you think he's been? Is it that he's not there? He's just not, you know, oh, great, I'll turn up again. No, God is everywhere. God is acting, although it's behind the scenes, although it's through somebody else, it's acting. We can see that. We can see that at the end there. You tell Abimelech and the people of Shechem that God wasn't acting. Yes, he's acting. He's intervening. He's setting things in motion. Working through other people, perhaps working in ways we're not expecting. Not perhaps directly punishing Abimelech when we expect him. Not necessarily directly punishing the people of Shechem. When, they're, when we're expecting him, not perhaps raising up the leader who, he, who we're expecting him to raise up at that point, but he's still working, he's still doing things, he's in the background, he's making things happen. He's always been like that, he's always done that. He always does the unexpected. How, how, how unlikely is it that God sends his only son into the world to save for himself a people, a people who are going to live with him forever. God must be saying they won't expect that. He sends a Holy Spirit into the lives of Christians in order to seal them to himself. God must be saying, they won't expect that. He's building a church, even though, even though right now he's acting most clearly through his church. That includes the church here in Rotherham right now. This church is most clearly the way that God's acting in the world. And God must be saying, they won't be expecting that. 
The story in Judges 9 does not play out the way Abimelech was expecting. It does not play out the way the people of Shechem is expecting. It does not play out the way Gal is expecting because God does not do the expected. He does the unexpected. He does the surprising. He's God. We aren't. You can almost expect God to do the unexpected. To turn up in a way that we're not expecting. Folks, I know that many of us are in different circumstances in our lives. Sometimes those circumstances are very hard. We don't always know what to do for the best. We don't know where to turn to sometimes. We don't know where to turn to for wisdom. It may feel like we're fighting and getting nowhere or fighting and losing or just fighting or just losing. Please, take this encouragement today from the story of Abimelech. Do not think that God is not on the scene. Do not think that God is not acting. Do not think that he does not care. He is God and we are not. Expect God to do the unexpected. Please, when you leave here today, leave with no doubt. God is acting and he's renewing all things. He is making all things new under his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.